0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. We're joined with a special guest on today's episode. We got my guy, College Football with Sam, man. What's going on?
1: Uh, What's going on is I would say I'm just ready to talk college football, but more importantly, I'm ready for the, the really the preseason to be over with at this point. Like, I have tons of content and I content ideas to really, like, get into, and I could make several more videos, but the preseason's just getting more tiring. I just want Notre Dame versus Navy at 2.30 p.m.
0: Ha <laughs> man, I'm looking forward to Utah, Florida, man. Like, you know, I'm always surprised with the amount of Florida fans that are out there because I don't know if you've ever been to Gainesville, but gainesville is kind of country you feel me and for there to be so many florida fans i just get really surprised so i just keep talking about them and you know you florida fans keep on watching the video so i appreciate the support and i'm looking forward to see what you guys do against utah man because let me ask you this sam do you think florida is better than utah from a talent standpoint
1: Oh, from a recruiting standpoint, absolutely. But from a developmental standpoint and from the Rice-Eccles and home field advantage standpoint, there's no universe in in my world that Florida should go in there with Graham Mertz at quarterback and win. And, And if they do, there's a lot of questions that go both ways.
0: And I was talking to a good friend of mine who follows Florida really closely. He's a fan, but he's one of those fans that, like you, you can ask them about their favorite team, and they'll give you a real good, you know, grasp on them, or they'll give you, like, a really good analysis on them, and they'll be unbiased. Like, last year he said he felt like they probably was going to be a 6-7 win team and nothing more, but this year they actually feel like they could go in and be a maybe a 7-8 win team. Apparently, Graham Mertz has looked really good in camp. Maybe he could end up having like a bowl Knicks or Michael Penix resurrection. That would be shocking. Wouldn't that be a headline? We talking about Bobby Petrino and everything else. Graham Mertz, fam, going into SEC territory with the big dogs and having a really good season? You talk about, you know, a plot twist. Sheesh.
1: That would... It, it would be surprising. I mean, I think that if that happens, we'd have to really reconsider what we think of when it comes to Paul Christ and his coaching. But, I mean, what do you expect? At Wisconsin under Crist, there was never a great quarterback under, with the exception of maybe Jack Cohn. So maybe Napier has someone on his staff that's just – better i mean i don't know florida as intimately as i do almost any big 10 team but i know they have a good old line i know they have a top 10 running back room so i mean there is a world where yeah seven eight wins is really possible
0: yeah man but there's also a world where you know them may them not making it to a bowl game is also possible but If you guys haven't already, make sure that you guys subscribe to my guy, College Football with Sam. He has over 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. One of the best, fast, rising, up-and-coming college football content creators out there. Very great content. Very soothing and relaxing voice. So go ahead and check my guy out. And Oregon and Washington are headed to the Big Ten. And there seems to be a narrative with these Pac-12 teams joining the Big Ten that, since they're coming from the West Coast, they're soft. And the Big Ten, they're going to beat up on them. They're going to get beat down by Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. So you being a Big Ten expert, covering the Big Ten pretty closely, what are your initial thoughts on Oregon and Washington and how you feel they're going to fit in into the Big Ten?
1: Well... For one, what's going to be interesting is how are the home and home series going to go because the Big 10 and the Pac-12 have a history of performing poorly in each other's country. So now that Washington, Oregon, USC and UCLA are, you know, they're here in the Big 10, how does that work? Um what I think is all four of the teams minus maybe UCLA who are joining they're going to be in the upper they're going to be in the upper half in the upper 9 teams of the conference i'd say usc washington oregon with the way they're developing and especially with the way that oregon and usc are recruiting they could contend for the conference every year from a recruiting standpoint and i think that the first, I mean, 2024, it might be Michigan, OSU, Penn State in any order in the top three. And then the next three teams are Washington, Oregon, USC. I mean, that's probably what I think will happen. So you're getting high-level, top-tier teams, in my opinion. And if you're a fan of a Big Ten fan not named Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, this sucks because now your chances of getting to Indy – are infinitesimally smaller. They're tiny. But I think that while Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State will, for the foreseeable future, dominate the conference and in some instances rough, like rough these schools up and beat them to death, they can't win every year. They that can't happen. I mean, even with Nick Sabin in Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, even Auburn, I mean, they've found ways to win. And I expect Oregon, Washington, especially USC with Lincoln Riley to do something like that. That's just my brief thoughts there.
0: And we already saw what happened the last time Oregon and Ohio State got together, man. It was a bloodshed on that field. Oregon was the more physical team, the more dominant team. And I think that these Pac-12 schools have an unfair stigma about them. They're West Coast boys, so they're a little soft. They're afraid to get down and dirty in the trenches. But I don't really think that's true. You look at Oregon, and you think about what they did when they had Mario Cristobal as their head coach and with Dan Landing at the helm. Their recruiting is still very good. Washington, we saw what they did to Michigan State. Absolutely annihilated them. It was an embarrassment on Michigan State's behalf. Kind of a disgrace to the Big Ten. So... You look at how they're going to fare in the Big Ten. I expect them to come in and be competing right away. Now, of course, you're going to have USC in there. I don't really know about UCLA, but they do have Dante Moore, so they're going to be really interesting, and they do use the transfer portal pretty well. But Oregon and Washington are recruiting really high right now. And I think that they possibly pose a really big threat to Michigan in particular. Ohio State, I think they're great because they recruit at an elite level every single year. But Michigan is one of those teams that they recruit well. They don't recruit at an elite level consistently. I'm not saying they don't recruit at an elite level, but it's not consistent. Some years they'll have a top 10 class, maybe a outside looking in top five class. And then a couple of years they'll have like some top 15, maybe an outside looking in top 10 class. So you don't really get a lot of consistent elite recruiting out of Michigan, but they do do a really good job recruiting up front. But Oregon, with Dan Lanning at the helm, he's a recruiting monster. Kellen DeBoer, he does a really good job recruiting. I think there's a chance that Michigan could find themselves kind of a little bit you know, out of the loop and things for the next couple of years after this year, when you look at how the trajectory of these two programs is trending up, they can find elite talent. They got a lot of money to spend when it comes to NIL, especially Oregon, with the fact that, you know, they have that rich... Um, who, who's the dude? Phil Knight, I believe. Yeah, Phil Knight, the dude who's yeah. like the CEO of Nike or something like that. So, you know, money ain't a problem for them. And they both got really good fan bases, so... I think that the home game is going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing Penn State versus Washington and Oregon. Because these are two programs that kind of are on the fringes of really breaking out back into the national scene. Both Washington and Oregon have been to the college football playoffs in the past. And I think that people kind of overlook that. People seem to forget that Washington and Oregon have had really productive seasons over the last decade, especially when it comes to their ability to compete on the national scene. And I think that both of these two squads should do a really good job in the Big Ten. I expect them to be on the upper echelon of the conference, like you say. I don't think Michigan is going to become irrelevant just because they have a certain mentality about them. But I do think that there is a chance that Michigan's dominance or their grasp on the Big Ten May not be as strong as what it is now once these two teams end up entering the conference. But I'm gonna talk about this, man. Texas and them, I don't know how you feel about them, but I feel like if everything goes right, Bobby Petrino works out, and this team plays up to the level of talent that they have, I think they can win the SEC West. Now, am I crazy? Am I tripping or can you see that being the upside for Texas AM this year?
1: In in my personal projections, when I measure like a team's absolute floor and absolute ceiling, that could be like a total insane pick, but it's like with TCU last year or with the history of college football, you have to take that into consideration. So I have, like, a whole, you know, of course, all these different things dedicated, and I, I think, yeah, I have it open. Yeah, Texas A&M, I have getting, like, they could go to the college football playoff at their best, but that is way out there, way, way out there. And once they reach the national title or the playoff, if they're that good, then of course, they can reach the national title because the sheer amount of talent they have, but that's their ceiling if everything goes right. And I think that a more realistic ceiling or maybe a safer ceiling to go off of would probably be 10 and 3 or 11 and 2, winning your New Year Six Bowl. They don't face Georgia from the crossover, so that's good. But when you still have LSU, Auburn, you have a non-conference road game at Miami and Arkansas for example at the neutral site it's it's tough it's very tough and I think my personal opinion about AM is Bobby Petrino the game of college football has passed him by Jimbo Fisher is outdated as a head coach he's stubborn. He thinks that he can buy a recruiting class into saving his job. And ultimately, this isn't me, like, it's not that I hate Jimbo Fisher. It's just from what I see, this team has been rated highly and praised time and time and time again. And what have they done? Nothing. Even when they beat Alabama, they bombed later in the year. They they can't. That's coaching. When you have that sheer amount of talent, like their talent roster, fourth best in the country, that was last year. It's probably, it could be third this year. It could have passed Ohio State's or maybe passed Georgia's with how much they lost. And when you don't win at the highest level with that, that's coaching. And I don't think Bobby Petrino's up to date. I don't think Jimbo Fisher's up to date. I think even if they collaborate well, the game has evolved and continues to evolve at such a rate. I don't think they're going to have long-term success. I think if AM wants to reach that point, you're going to have to find a way out of this contract, or you're going to have to wait it out, which is going to be excruciatingly painful. But Ceiling, like you asked, if everything goes right and if I'm wrong, they have the talent to go to the playoff and potentially win it all with how well they've recruited.
0: You see me, like, I'm a fan of the underdog, and I love a good comeback story. I'm looking at Jimbo Fisher, and I still think he's a pretty solid head coach, although he kind of has lost a little bit of luster when it comes to his play calling. The offense hasn't been good ever since they lost Kellen Mond, and they went to the New Year's Six Bowl that year. But I really believe in Bobby Petrino. It wasn't too long ago he had Lamar Jackson. And he was a Heisman Trophy winner. And he has a really good track record of being able to develop and work with quarterbacks. And I don't know how much you've watched connor Wigman, but I thought that he had a really good true freshman campaign. He was highly rated when he was coming out of high school. And Jimbo Fisher pretty much considered him to be the best quarterback coming out of that recruiting cycle, which I believe was the same cycle that Drew Aller came out, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that.
1: And i was. Looking,
0: okay, so... You got a really talented quarterback in Connor Wigman. You got a really good offensive line. I feel like the problem with them last year was that they are really lacking depth there. And I'm looking at their schedule. Their toughest game before they really hit their non, their conference schedule is Miami on the road. Which, me being a Canes fan, I think that Texas and them is probably going to win that game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think Miami could be a top 25 team this year. But... Me being a Canes fan, I done got let down so many times by this program. I'm going to give it to Texas A&M. Auburn could be a little bit tricky. So could Arkansas. But I really feel like Texas A&M, with the roster they have and how good they are up front, I mean, they got one of the best defensive lines in college football. And I don't really think they get enough credit about it. It's like you have a lot of talented players on there. You got guys like Shamar Turner. Walter Nolan, there's a lot of talent that they have up front. They got a lot of NFL bodies on both sides of the football. And their wide receiving core is absolutely stacked, too. And I believe with Connor Wigman at the helm, as long as he can get some competent play calling out of Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher can let Bobby Petrino do his thing, not step on his foot, I honestly feel like this could possibly be a one-loss team. And I know that sounds hard to fathom at their ceiling when you think about how much of a bloodbath the SEC is going to be. And, I mean, they got one of the toughest conference schedules in the SEC. I mean, they're playing Arkansas, Bama, Tennessee on the road. You got to play South Carolina, Ole Miss. I mean, they just have some of the best teams in this conference on their schedule. But with how talented of a team they have, I really don't see how they – can't find a way to at least go 11-1 throughout the regular season if they're playing at their best because they do kind of have like a top five roster in terms of talent and everything. So as long as Jimbo Fisher can you know let Bobby Petrino do his thing I really feel like this could work. I really like Connor Wickman. He has a lot of similarities to Dak Prescott in my opinion. Just a little bit more athletic. I really feel like they could be 11 and 1, make it to the SEC Championship. I don't know if they can beat Georgia. I mean, they can't beat Georgia. They have a shot, but you know Georgia's such a juggernaut and such a well-oiled machine. It kind of be mm-hmm. hard for me to see that happening, but I'm really high on Texas and like I really believe that this is a team that could legitimately be a college football playoff team this year and I just love seeing chaos, you know, and we haven't really had an SEC championship game where the winner from the previous year has made it in back-to-back years consistently. In Alabama, we got concerns about how their quarterback room is going to shape out. You know, they could change their offensive philosophy all they want to, but, you know, at the end of the day, you still got to be able to throw the football to win the game. And when you're playing against yeah. a team like a with how good they are up front, I mean... It's going to be a little bit of a doozy trying to win with lackluster QB play. Not saying Alabama's quarterback play is going to be garbage, but I'm just saying I got a little bit more confidence in Connor Wickman than I do any other QB on Bama's roster.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And my thing, and as a Michigan fan, I, I understand this, in the sense of we've had the two highest rated offensive lines over the past few seasons. Now, they've never performed that level in the postseason. They just haven't for whatever reason. In 2021, it was because Georgia's D-line was just much better. In 2022, I don't know what happened, but I think this year it's going to be rectified because I you know, have Michigan as the number one team in the country. But even with that, you can't win forever and ever and ever and ever unless you're the exception to the rule. You can't win, even with the best offensive line, which Alabama has the talent to have, by only running the football and never passing. You can't do that. And whether it's Ty Simpson, whether it's Jalen Milroe who's really athletic, and I think I like him and I think he's going to start, but if he can't throw the football, they'll, they might lead the country in rushing yards or close to it. And at the end of the day when they face up against Georgia or an AM or an LSU who have really good defensive lines, what's that going to look like? Is your run game just going to three or four yards per carry, failing a few fourth downs, can't pass the football? It's, I mean, that'd be like pathetic, honestly. So yeah, a and I agree that I do have a higher degree of faith in their they're passing game from a quarterback perspective. But, you know, Alabama, LSU, and then Georgia in that title game, for a there's just so much that has to go right with a, in my opinion, mediocre O-line. Wiegman, while he did play well last year, he still has things to prove. And the defense, as good as that D-line isn't as talented as they are, What's interesting about them and Florida State is they struggled so poorly against the run. So what's going to happen when they meet Alabama? I mean, they could shut down Alabama's run game, or Alabama could have like 45 minutes of T.O.P. and just blow them out. So lots of questions for A&M, but I think you and I agree that if everything goes right, this team could shock everyone, literally.
0: And... My last statements on this, even if everything doesn't go right, I still feel like Texas A&M is capable of being a 9, 10 win team this year. You get to play Alabama at home, you can play Tennessee on the road, which is going to be a doozy for you, but I I think that Tennessee with, you know, the question marks that they have on defense and the style of offense they play, I think that Texas A&M has a chance to pull off the upset in that one if they are, you know, underdog heading into that game. But overall, I really feel like Texas a and is being a little bit slept on. I really am rooting for Texas A&M. I would love to see Jimbo Fisher make a face turn after being viewed as a hill for the last couple of years. And we talk about hill turns, right? Texas and Oklahoma. I don't really think that a lot of people expect them to really be able to compete in the SEC. How do you think they're going to do in the SEC next year, making that transition?
1: Um, hmm. Well, it's really interesting. And it, it, it the reason it's fascinating is because I have questions about Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach, and I don't think Brent Venables is going to do well as a head coach, but they're also both recruiting well. So, they're they're in similar positions in one sense. However, I think Texas is going to enter the SEC. And originally when this happened, I, I I said they're gonna enter the SEC and go five and seven. I was I I was making those jokes because at the time in 2021, Bam! they weren't good. <laughs> they just weren't. But, but then this year happened, their recruiting has been consistent. And they're not in the SEC yet. So I have you know, a right to change my opinion and set that in stone before they enter. Now I think they're going to enter and immediately compete. They have a great wide receiver core. They're recruiting extremely well in the trenches. They have a great play. Whether you think Steve Sarkeesian's a great game manager and a head coach, he's a great play caller. So offensively, they have all the tools they need to succeed. Defensively, They took a massive step forward from 2021 to 2022, and they returned most of that production. So now that they've showed me they can play well defensively as well, now I just got to see who Steve Sarkeesian is in close possession games against the best of the best teams. And whether that's Alabama this year or Kansas State or TCU or whoever they play in the Big 12 championship game, if he just wins a handful of those and gets – double-digit wins and wins the Big 12 like I think he will, I think they can be one of the nation's best teams, if not a playoff contender. Not just this year, but a a true national title. Like, like larger than 1% chance to win it all in 2024. Oklahoma, I don't have hope. I have very little, very little hope. (laughs) And I think that's just because they lost a lot under Lincoln Riley. I know that. And it's it's sort of just a hunch that I have. I don't know the Big Twelve as well as I do the Big Ten, but the defense they had was so inexcusably bad. You're moving from the Big 12 to the SEC and you took over two years before you do that. So you don't have much time to get things right before you before you hit. What arguably is now the toughest conference in America. And defensively, I don't think they're, I don't think they're great. They have better depth now. and all I've been hearing in the preseason is, oh, how how good is Jackson Arnold? He's so good and he's such an upgrade. Well, you already have a good quarterback. You already have a good quarterback. So as much as the depth helps, the fact that nothing else is being talked about, I think is a concern. And I wonder, like losing, for example, Marvin Mims, I wonder who's going to replace him. I wonder how, you know, their schedule's easy, but what happens when they face Texas again? Or what happens when, you know, TCU comes to town? Or when they face Kansas, who hung 42 on them last year and returns a ton of production? What happens to Oklahoma? Not every. I know that we love, because I love you know, success stories as well. Maybe it's hard to believe, but I do. Not every new head coach can be successful. And I like Lanning. I like DeBoer. I now like Dykes. At some point, one of them, I just have to lay my hand on and say, I don't think so. And going six and seven at Oklahoma, even with all they lost is, you can't do that. If you go six and seven with that schedule, you enter the SEC in the Big Ten with that same team. You go four and eight or three and nine, and the conversation's even worse. So I love Texas in the SEC. I think it's going to work. I think they might become a, a premier program in the SEC, like up there at, at the top of the hill, especially when Saban retires inevitably. Oklahoma. Uh, Mike Valeni, a guy that I listened to in '97, won the ticket in Detroit. He said, "I think they're. I think Oklahoma is going to go back to the Howard Schnellenberger era where they struggle to go bowling." I'm more inclined to believe that than the fact that Oklahoma will win the SEC. I truly am. It, it, yeah. Damn. And I
0: mean, listen, I I love Brett Venables. And I'm going to give him a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. I'm just going to act like last year didn't happen. I'm just going to take that thing and, you know, rip it in the trash and throw it away and just forget about 2022. Because he did lose a lot on defense. They didn't really have a lot of depth. But he is one of the best defensive minds in recent memory in college football. I expect that defense to make some massive improvements. And when I say massive improvements, like this should be a massively improved defense. Offensively, I think they're going to be fine. Jeff Levy is a really good offensive coordinator. And I don't think Oklahoma is going to go into the SEC and be as good as Texas. I just think that Texas is just so much of a juggernaut. It's like Texas is like USC, Florida, FSU. You get the right coach in there you recruit well, you should immediately be able to contend no matter what conference you're in. You should immediately be a national championship contender, and I feel like Texas has a lot more momentum going into the SEC, especially if they perform at a really high level this year than what Oklahoma's going to have. Yeah, My thing with brent venables and why i may have a little bit more confidence in him than you do i still don't think that oklahoma is going to be the cream of the crop of the sec but i think they could be an eight nine win program and you know with how the schedule lines up they can get a couple of breaks here and there maybe they could make it to a couple of sec championship games or not but brent venables does have a lot to prove I don't know if he'll be a championship caliber coach, but I think he can be a pretty serviceable head coach, have you around that 8, 9, 10 win range. This is somebody who has been on a lot of national championship staffs, dabble Sweeney with Clemson, Bob Stoops in the early 2000s at OU. So he knows what it takes to build a championship program, and he does have pretty good, charisma he's able to you know galvanize his players his players do love playing for him he brings a really unique energy you know i am skeptical about him but i don't think like he'll end up you know fizzling out and being a disaster in the sec when i look at steve starkeesian in texas though i mean i expect them to hit the sec running like i feel like a lot of people are hating on texas because you know it's easy to hate on texas you know, they've been down for so long in terms of every single year. Well, I won't say every single year, but, you know, everybody's always quick to shout Texas is back, and then they go and they disappoint. But I really feel like Texas is back, bro. I really feel if you're an Alabama fan or LSU fan, a Tennessee fan, and even a Texas A&M fan, LSU fan, Texas A&M, when they hit the Southeastern Conference, like, they're coming for throats. They're coming to take it all. Like, I don't think this is the same Texas program that it was under Tom Herman or Charlie Strong. Steve Sharkeesian, he's a really good recruiter. And it really seems like he kind of is now starting to hit his strides at, you know, Texas. And he also has a really yeah. good he has a really good staff. And he also knows the SEC pretty good. So if I'm a Bama fan or just a fan of the SEC in general, I don't think Texas is going to come in and they're going to lay down and they're not going to be able to live up to the hype because we know how good Texas is when you get it all figured out. And I think Texas is really close to having that thing all figured out. And if they get that thing all figured out this season and they go into the SEC with a Big 12 championship and they don't even got to make it to the college football playoffs, let's say they have a 10-win season. Quinn Ewers hits the NFL draft. Next up is Arch Manning. You feel me? I think any non-Texas fan who is following the SEC closely, Downing Texas would be a huge mistake. And I feel like Texas needs to start being viewed very seriously. I don't no longer think that they're one of those teams that you can just make a joke at and just meme and just think that you know they're just going to disappoint like I feel like Texas is for real under Steve Sharkeesian he has a really good staff they hit that recruiting trail really hard I mean I really love what Texas could do in the SEC and for you do you think that Texas could immediately go in and just win that thing year one in 2024 Or do you think it may take maybe two years
1: I did schedule predictions for 2024 because I'm just that, you know, just into it. Because 2024 is a huge year. 12-team playoff. You have, you know, the Pac-12 is no longer going to exist in 2024. New TV contracts. Big Ten's going to have four new teams. I did schedule predictions, and Texas has a really, they have a really nice schedule for 2024. Toughest game in conference, because this is what we're talking about, the SEC, is Georgia, and Georgia's at home. It's going to be a new environment for Georgia, and it's hostile, and Texas will be the most talented they've ever been in over a decade. And their next toughest game will probably be on the road at Texas A&M, who I think is a plainly inferior coach. They could win it in year one. I, I seriously think they have the talent Even if Steve Sarkeesian isn't the GOAT coach, and I kind of use that remark with some cynicism and sarcasm because people toss it around all the time, even if he isn't an elite coach, the sheer talent they have might be enough for them to do something like that, especially a quarterback. I mean, Malik, Malik Murphy and then Arch Manning behind him I'm a, I'm a firm I'm a firm believer in that quarterback room. I'm a firm believer in the development they've done at wide receiver and tight end and offensive line and and defense too. They're getting better defensively. They could go in the SEC and they could flat out win in year 1. I think that. And people will say, well they haven't, you know, you're giving them a ton of benefit of the doubt or you're overrating them, and I get that. But I've also been the person who said last year that they were overrated because they were. They were not going to win the Big 12 last year. They weren't. They were too anti-clutch and mentally weak. They were really young. Yes. And they had an injured quarterback. (laughs) Like Quinn Ewers was not the same after he took that hit. And Oklahoma is the same thing this year. Like, they're rated highly. ESPN's FPI has them in the top 15 by odds. (laughs) they're favored to you know be in that big 12 championship game in the second place like you, you can't say that one is overrated in my opinion not at least question that about the other oklahoma's move to the sec i think it's like nebraska's to the big 10 like
0: oh, that that could
1: that, that no. could that could prove to be like gross Honestly, like not from a geographic standpoint, and it could work, but you got to have the right head coach. And you you don't have Texas recruiting. You don't have Florida. You have pipelines, but you don't have that. There's just something about Texas and what they're doing right now. They're on the uptrend. And my opinions could totally change after this year because you have one more year to prove yourselves before everyone's predictions of how your future is going to be are final, because then you're in the conference, and that's a different conversation. But from how things look currently, you go 6-7 and seven in year one, your team gets, even before Dylan Gabriel was hurt, I mean, TCU just had like three or four plays of 70-plus yard touchdown. It's like that was disgusting. Texas, meanwhile, was so close to being great, but they still went bowling and they still competed with Alabama, Washington, even beat Kansas State, competed with TCU, Oklahoma State. Like all those teams were ranked at the time that they played them. They had one of the tougher schedules in the country and they went eight and five. And they're recruiting well. Oklahoma's recruiting well too, but you can't only recruit, you got to coach. And maybe, I mean, I'm obviously going on more of a stretch than you are. You're probably wiser by giving Brent Venables more of a benefit of the doubt. There's just something about Oklahoma's move versus Texas's that is it's different. And I think that Texas, to go back to your question, as I've said before, they could go into the SEC. And it's unlikely, yeah, because Georgia, Alabama have better head coaches. LSU's recruiting well, but Texas could go in and win year one. Why not? They're they're going to do it at some point. They're too good of a program. They recruit too well, and I. I
0: they got too much yeah. money. You know, money. Yeah. You know, them pockets deep down there in Texas. You know, they got oil. They got a lot of things. Like they got some really rich boosters. This Texas probably has like a couple of a million, like hundred plus million dollar boosters. And their alumni back in that anything they need, they got it. Oklahoma, I know they got some pretty deep pockets down there too. That's why I'm giving Brent Venables the benefit of the doubt. Like, the biggest thing to me to survive in the SEC, first of all, you got to recruit. Okay, if you're not recruiting at a high level, I don't really think you can have too much success in the SEC. So the fact that Brent Venables has a pretty solid coaching staff and they are recruiting at an insanely high level... I think you could probably make the argument that he's probably recruiting at a better level than what Lincoln Riley was. I think a large reason why Lincoln Riley left OU is because it was a little bit more difficult for him to recruit the area versus him going to USC and, you know, Cali's just rich with talent. And if USC has a good year, it's easily just to scoop up the best players in that state and build your team in Cali just alone. But I kind of feel with Brent Venable's You know, he could be somebody who could end up not working out. But I think with the championship pedigree that he has, being on a lot of championship staffs, I think he probably should end up at least being able to keep Oklahoma an 8-9 win program in the SEC. Texas, every single year we ask this, are they finally going to be back? Is Texas finally going to be back in 2023, Sam? And I don't know about you. But I feel like this is it. I feel like Texas has too good of a squad not to be back this year. If Texas can't even win 10 games this year, I I just lose all hope for the foreseeable future when it comes to Longhorns football. Because if this isn't the year, I don't know when it ever is going to be the year.
1: Yeah, (laughs) if they if they do what they did last year again this year i will have the same mentality about them that i do about oklahoma right now i it it will flip that quickly and they 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 have no i mean let's 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 look at their schedule just very very briefly like bear with me here texas they open up the year of course playing a very easy opponent don't want to go over that alabama is the biggest team that they face all year on the road it's steve sarkisian's former head coach nick saban and it's the only team that they're going to face all year that has more talent than they do and then after that after alabama and rice as josh pate would say they play food and <laughs> Rice. And and on the road at Alabama, they host Wyoming, they play at Baylor, they host Kansas, don't Oklahoma.
0: I feel like a Kansas. lot of people are overlooking Kansas, man. Like, they're up there returning production. They got a squad. They got a solid offensive line, and they got a superstar quarterback in Jalen Daniels. And I don't think enough people understand how important it is when you have a quarterback that's on the caliber that Jalen Daniels is when you have that kind of talent at quarterback you should be in a handful of games even if you don't have a great defense which Kansas probably won't have even though they do have some pretty good players on that side like Kenny Logan at safety with Jalen Daniels he's going to keep you in a lot of games so as long as Kansas can avoid going into the fourth quarter, being down by, like, 10 points, and it's a closed game. I think they could possibly pull off the upset. And I think the biggest threat in the Big 12 this year to Texas, to me, is Kansas. I think that's one of the biggest games in the Big 12 this year. I think Kansas is really that kind of team. But outside of that, I mean, like, I feel like they probably could, you know, run the table on their schedule, at least for the next couple of weeks after but I'll let you continue. I just had to say that.
1: Oh no, you're good. You're good, and I say that because I have Kansas. Full disclosure, including the bowl game, I have them going ten and three, and they're my top twenty-five. <gasps> oh! So I totally, I totally agree with you. That's in my bowl oh! predictions video. Okay, I see you Sam. Yeah, ten and three, and their offense is probably going to be top ten in the country in scoring. Like that, that team will they will destroy any defense they face except for maybe a defense like Iowa's or Iowa States that are just so fundamentally sound. It's going to be hard to hang more than 20 on them anyway. And Texas, Texas does not have that defense. Well,
0: Texas in my opinion, have a really solid defense this year. Now, I don't know if their defense will go in and, you know, shut down Kansas. I'll be really surprised if that were to happen, even though they are playing Kansas, at home, I just think with how good Jalen Daniels is, like with how he played before he went down with that injury, if he can get back to that same level, which I believe he will, I think that could be a really good game. But I probably still will give Texas the edge. I know this seems like a Kansas love fest, and we talking about Texas, but I really think that's one of the biggest games for Texas this year, honestly.
1: Oh, yeah. And don't, oh, do not overlook, I would say, Kansas State on the schedule, or TCU, or even Iowa State, even Texas Tech. I mean, that last four-game stretch, they're, they're teams that in theory shouldn't touch Texas, but the reality is, given Texas's history and given the fact that all of those teams minus TCU are very fundamental, very sound, they could easily give Texas problems. And then TCU... TCU, from what we've seen, I mean, with even Gary Patterson, I mean, they dominated that Texas rivalry. It's on the road. TCU is going to be a a massive underdog because Texas is going to be favored in every game except the Bama game. They have too much talent, too much money behind them. And TCU still – they're still going, I think, with the staff they have, the explosive wide receivers, tight end Jared Wiley – and their defense. This may sound shocking, but they return some players at secondary, and you don't have Bijan Robinson at Texas anymore. So your strength's going to be passing the football. That's another interesting game. And I think that depend. I think that in that November stretch, Texas is going to lose one of those games. I don't think they're there yet. I'm I'm having it as TCU because it's the road game. TCU, I think, has the best staff out of those four teams, sort of maybe Kansas State, but it could be any of those teams. But to get back to Texas, because we have been talking a lot about other Big Twelve teams, but we have to. Um Yeah, you got
0: to set the stage.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the Big Twelve is gonna be a really fun conference. I think almost anyone can win it. Texas, of course, is the most likely, I think by a mile, but other teams have a lot. Of you know a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities. Texas is prone to upsets, as we know in past history. I think they are—they're nearly back, if not back. I'm—I I'm hes- I think they're back. I'm gonna go and say I think they're back. Um, now of course that opinion could change. This could be, you know, the first year I fall for the trap, and it's like, well, you still fell for the trap, the bear trap. Um, and that'd suck, but they they're the most talented team they're evenly recruited i didn't mention this earlier but i wanted to but they have a great play caller in sark i already mentioned that who coordinated one of the probably the best offense in alabama history in 2020 kyle floods a great recruiter and developer at o-line and then pete um i hope that's how you pronounce his name he was the defensive coordinator at boise state in washington under chris peterson when those were defensive, you know, they had good defenses. They also had good offenses, but Washington, from what I can recollect in 17 and 18, the only reason they weren't terrible because Matt Lubick was a horrible offensive coordinator, they were good because their defense was good. I mean, Jonathan Smith was the reason they went to the playoff. And then that defensive staff, including Jimmy Lake, was the reason that they didn't collapse once Smith Left. That's just my opinion. So they have a good staff. We just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's all about Steve Sarkeesian now. If they're not back this year, there cannot be any excuses. They've used the portal. They've recruited well. They have a good staff. They have money. That's on him, which is pretty damning going into the SEC. Because now you're thinking, well, if he's not it, maybe he is. But we'll have to wait another year. Who is it? We're gonna have to do this again. And again and again and again, potentially. And you're back to where, I think, where Oklahoma's at, except better because you have more in-state talent and you at least have a, you know, a staff with a good reputation and you've properly built your team. So I think Texas is back, for sure. But we'll have to see how it plays out this year because the Big 12... I mean, what, Texas has been predicted, Texas and Oklahoma have been predicted to win the Big 12 for probably the last decade. Maybe I think 2015 was the last time they weren't. And Oklahoma won it that year. <laughs> so Big 12's wide open a lot of years, and especially in the future when Texas leaves, whether it's Deion Sanders or, um, you know, Sony Dykes, Lance Flypold in Kansas State. It'll be even more wide open. It'll be maybe a new champion every year. We'll have to see. So Texas, I think they're back, but we'll have to see.
0: And uh, thinking about the talent that they have on offense, you got Quinn Ewers. Which there was a report that came out that said that some coaches think that they expect Arch Manning to take over eventually. I don't really think that's going to happen. Quinn Ewers did show a lot of promise. I didn't think he was shit. I actually liked what I saw out of him. The problem with Quinn Ewers is that he was heavily inconsistent. When he was on, he was on. He was making big-time throws downfield. But when he was off, it was pretty bad. And looking at the roster, you got Xavier Worthy, who battled with injuries last year, one of the best receivers in all of college football, Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nayer, yeah, they did lose B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson, but they got a lot of talent in the backfield. They're going to have one of the best offensive lines in college football. I mean, they don't need a great defense to run through this conference because you look at what they have offensively. I mean, I don't really think anybody in the Big 12 should really be able to slow down this offense. I think that this should easily be an offense that's capable of being able to hang 35, 40-plus on you with ease. Now, you may run into a couple of games where, you know, your offense may start out a little bit slow. But overall, like, I kind of feel like Texas should at least beat the majority of teams on their schedule this year outside of Bama and maybe a couple of games or two. But outside of that, I feel like they should be able to at least win every game outside of a couple by at least 14. Like, this is a really good squad. Like, I, I, I feel really confident in this Texas team. I don't really feel like this is a team that's going to be able to be less than a 10 win program this season. Like, they went less than 10 games, like you said. Like, I I just lose all faith in Texas football this year. There's way too much talent for Texas not to be able to at least win this conference this year. And I understand, like, why they're always favored because you recruit so well. So, obviously, if you recruit so well compared to the other teams in this conference, I mean, nobody else is really touching OU and Texas and recruiting. So, it's yeah. like, for yeah. me... And that's...
1: and that's... Oh, go ahead.
0: I was saying, for me, I just personally feel like Steve Sharkeesian has a really good team this year that's capable of being able to compete for a national championship I don't really think there's another team in the conference that's really close OU I mean they could be the second best team but I kind of feel like Kansas and a couple of other teams could overtake them I'm not thinking they're going to be bad but I just think that Texas the gap between them and the rest of the Big 12 is pretty huge and if you're a fan of another team in the big 12, not named Texas, you know, I feel like you got to kind of give Texas their props for what they have. Like they got a really good squad going into this year.
1: Oh yeah. I, I, 150% agree with you right there. The gap in theory is massive. I mean, there's no other reason. There's no reason to think otherwise in my mind. And that's like, if, if, there's no excuse to not win the big 12 this year. There isn't like if, if, if Texas tech wins the big 12, or if Kansas or Kansas state repeats or TCU wins the the big 12, Kansas state and Kansas and all those programs have like a microcosm of the talent that you do. And in the case of Texas tech, and TCU they would have done it in a shorter period of time than your head coach was there. I mean, what does that say? That that that's why I can't disagree with you if if they if they don't win it this year or maybe because there's always exceptions to the rule. If they go 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 and lose in the Big 12 title game, that's another thing. That that's a totally different conversation. But if you go 9 and 4, 8 and 5, or maybe you're like Texas in 2018 where they limp into the conference championship game because of what turns out to be, you know, a win against Oklahoma that maybe in 10 other realities doesn't happen or worse than that then you lose faith in in the head coach and the CEO because he's recruiting well his staff's developing them somewhat well I mean, you have guys that are listing Quinn Ewers as all-conference, all-American, Heisman, Xavier Worthy's rightly being listed as like one of the best wide receivers in the nation. You have a great O-line who returns all five of their starters. Jatavion Sanders could be the nation's best tight end. Could be. I think Brock Bowers is number one, but he has that talent. And defensively, you've proved, if you can't win with that, what are you going to win with? You can't. It's impossible. You can't do it. Come on now, dog. It's like you have, Alab- you have on, Alabama's man. talent. You go nine and four, 10 and three every year. I mean, you can't. They're, they're, at that point, you have to have a change. Either you as a coach have to change, which very few have done Dabo Swinney, Jim Harbaugh. Very few have done that after they arrive at a job for multiple years. Or you have to go out and get someone. So if, I mean, in my mind, I'd love for Kansas or Texas Tech or someone to win the Big 12. But to me, it's so obvious that Texas should win. I'm just going to, I mean, and I think they should. And I think Sarkeesian's improving. I, I think they will. But that question does have to be posed if they lose to Bama. And then after, like last year, after losing to Bama, They then lose, like, a September or October conference game. Then you have to – the questions begin to get tough.
0: You know, the ACC right now, FSU, I think they're on Clemson's tail. I think if you're a Clemson fan, you need to be really, really scared of Florida State because I don't think they're too far off from surpassing Clemson as the top dogs in the ACC. I mean, we already know – When these Florida schools have the right head coach and they're clicking on all cylinders and recruiting is going crazy, like what it is for Mike Norvell and company right now, this Florida State team can easily overtake Clemson. Now, Clemson still is the top dog because to beat the man or to be the man, you got to beat the man in the wise words of Ric Flair. Woo! And you look at FSU and the trajectory that they're on, like, What's crazy is that around this time last year, Sam, there were people out there who were doubting Mike Norvell. And a year later, it's just a complete 180. All of a sudden, recruiting's going crazy. It's a lot of momentum, a lot of optimism. They're eighth in the AP poll going into this year. FSU, do you think they're going to end up surpassing Clemson? It doesn't have to be this year, but do you think as soon that Clemson is about the take second throttle to Florida State and the ACC.
1: There are multiple reasons I think Florida State is going to um, surpass Clemson. Um, I have a question to ask you about this. Do you want me to ask you it now? I mean, it's, it's it, you don't have to answer long if you want to get back to my answer, but I think it's a very important one just to like set the perspective. Go ahead. Okay. So I know you said in order to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I agree with that, at least from an on the field perspective. However, take all things into account and in your mind, predict the future or at least the best that you can do. Do you think Florida state has already surpassed Clemson? Like, do do you see, like, do you think that's already happened? And it's just inevitable at this point, because I look at, A a multiple of things, and I'd be very close to saying yes with that. What do you think?
0: I say no. They are recruiting really highly, but Clemson also does recruit at a pretty high level. And the, the fact that Dabble Sweeney did something unconventional, hiring a coordinator outside of the program, that's very unlike him. And I think it's only a matter of time before he starts to utilize the transfer portal because When FSU ends up beating them this year, I don't think they're going to lose to them at all because they just have such a better team this year. And the reason for that is because everything they got from the transfer portal, you got Jaheen Bell. I mean, you got Johnny Wilson. He was from the portal last year. You got Keon Coleman. I mean, Florida State's roster is a mix of great talent development, recruiting, but mostly utilizing the transfer portal. Jordan Travis, people seem to forget. He got. He came from the transfer portal, and I think Dabo Sweeney. He's gonna look at that. He's gonna realize that, eventually, he'll end up. He'll figure it out. Like, okay, like maybe I need to change my philosophy because one thing about great head coaches is that they're able to get with the times. Now they may be a little bit stubborn and they may push back on change, but once that change ends up kicking you in the, you know what, the three letter word, you end up saying, you know what. Bump it. We finna hit that portal. I'm tired of this shit. We finna even the scope. And I think Dabo Sweeney is still a really great coach. And I think that if they lose to Florida State this year and they see Florida State take the conference and Florida State has a lot of success, I expect Clemson to be able to eventually, you know, have Dabo Sweeney change his mentality towards the portal. So I still think that Clemson does have the upper hand on Florida State at least right now because Mike Norvell still has to prove on the field that this team can be able to beat Clemson and he can out-coach Dabo Sweeney because I still feel like Dabo Sweeney and that Clemson team were coaching circles around them last year, and that wasn't really a great Clemson team. You know, they didn't have a great offense. Their defense was pretty good. I feel like their secondary was a little bit rocky, but I still think that Clemson is the program to beat. Until you know Florida State can really prove it on the field because that's really all that it matters because it doesn't matter how good you are when it comes to recruiting and utilizing the transfer portal if you can't show the results on the field you know all that has to show on the field that's what it's all about you know it's all about the product that you're going to deliver on Saturdays and What's the point of, you know, utilizing the transfer portal, getting all these great recruits and having a more talented team in Clemson if it doesn't even matter if you're not going to be able to beat them? And that's why Dabo Sweeney has yet to change his mentality on the transfer portal. It's like if Clemson beats Florida State this year and they win the conference again, Dabo Sweeney is going to have no reason to change his philosophy because it's still working.
1: Yeah, that, that those are great points. And that's why I said... To a certain degree, why I'm like nearly saying yes, but not entirely, and and I liked what you said about maybe the fact that Dabo Swinney could adapt. I mean, I'm not apt to think that he will, but it's good that you have that in your end because I mean, why like he kind of already
0: has with hiring Garrett Riley because his previous exactly. coordinator hires have been promoted from within,
1: and that was a big hire. If he didn't make that hire, Clemson would not have been in my preseason top 20. They wouldn't have. I mean, like, he he literally, that hire, bumped them up about, like, 10 spots in my mind. Because Brandon Streeter was just that bad. I think that Clemson, if they don't change these things, and I get that he went outside and hired the pro, like, you know, he hired Garrett Riley. That was a change. I don't, we'll see what he does with NIL, The um, we'll see what he does with the portal, and those different things, because he he isn't using the portal. The, the only reason that's bad is because there are people leaving his, his program. Like, if there was no one leaving Clemson, well then, who cares? Like, your roster's intact. But talent is draining out there, perhaps more quickly than is flowing in. And Florida State and Mike Norvell, and Florida State Athletics, too, like publicly saying, we are going to leave this conference if you, if things can't change. Florida State is totally foot to the gas, all in. They want, they want to be at the top. Like, it's very clear. And I think that Florida State wins the ACC this year. I think they split with Clemson. I don't think they're good enough to just go. I don't think they're good enough to go two and zero versus Clemson. And not only that, but where I think Michigan or Ohio State could be so good that they could, in a hypothetical two-game series, just you know go two and zero against each other. I don't think Florida State and Clemson have that talent or even current coaching all around to do that. However, like getting back to the long term. From what I see right now, Florida State is using the portal more, like way better, obviously, all around. Their recruiting is catching up with Clemson. You know, they have Landon Thomas, they got KJ Bolden, they're using NIL and they're recruiting. KJ Bolden, by the way, I think Clemson was in I don't maybe I'm wrong there. I think Clemson was there for a while in that recruitment and in other recruitments too. And Florida State is just, they're with money, they're with hype, and I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, and I think they're rated too highly in the polls, but that's my personal opinion. I think the ACC is weak, and I think right now it's it's just Florida State, and it's just Clemson. It's it's like the Big 12 with Texas. Like the Big 12 is more above-average depth. The ACC just has two great teams, or maybe near elite at best, and the rest of the teams are probably above average or mediocre at best, bad or terrible at worst. And, I mean, it's just really difficult because everything off the field says that Florida State is going to potentially rocket right past Clemson, but then there's the the on-the-field where last year Florida State totally could have competed, they totally could have beaten Clemson, they just didn't. Clemson dominated And Florida state scored garbage time and they looked, you know, they made the score closer than it was. So you got, you got to beat, you got to beat the man to be the man. However, once they beat the man, and I think it's almost inevitable at this point that they will, if they don't, then it's like with Texas, you got to ask some uncomfortable questions, but if they do, what would stop Florida state from just taking off and leaving Clemson behind Unless Dabo Swinney changes everything else that needs to be changed. And the probability of that's unlikely. It's why Bobby Bowden fell off. That's why Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State fell off. Great coaches at some point do take a step back. Nick Saban's like the one exception. And, and he, he will someday, whether it's on the field or sadly with... You know, the fact that our life is finite, whether it's off the field and one day something just happens. So, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm with you, but I think I'm more extreme in the fact that unless radical changes are made and the percentage of that's small, Florida State will probably become the premier program in the ACC and then they might be the first to leave, which is very telling about the ACC's predicament.
0: Yeah, man. I'm looking at FSU this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they mopped the floor of Clemson. I think that there is. I ain't going to say there's a significant gap, but this this FSU team, they got some monsters. Johnny Wilson is 6'7", 240 pounds at receiver. Like, how the hell are you stopping that? How are you stopping a Jaheim Bell? Like, do you know that they pretty much got – Three of the top, highest-ranked players out of the transfer portal um, sent Fentrell Cypress transferred from Syracuse. He was the second-best cornerback in the portal, right behind Travis Hunter, one of the best cornerbacks in college football. Jaheen Bell, I saw a lot of him at South Carolina. I mean, they used this dude everywhere he was playing. Wildcat quarterback, H-back, fullback, tight end receiver. Damn, I wonder what he's going to play next. Jordan Travis, I mean, I love Jordan Travis. You talk about somebody who has grown and improved over the years. I remember there was a point where you used to watch Jordan Travis and you knew he was going to run the football. He wasn't even going to throw that thing. And now he's improved as a passer. Keon Coleman, this is the best offensive line FSU has had. We don't even know about Clemson's offensive line this year. So I'm looking at that, but Sweeney, it's like you kind of got no choice. It's like yeah. I don't think – I really can't see Dabo Sweeney allowing himself just to be left behind. He he's too much of a fighter. He's too much of a scrappy guy. I, I feel like he's somebody who he is stubborn in his ways, but eventually he'll come around once he gets tired of getting bludgeoned to death by FSU, and he's gonna have to hit that portal because when FSU because Dabo Sweeney has had the luxury of taking over Clemson and taking over this conference when FSU was pretty much in the state of decline, even though they did have a couple of years with Jameis Winston, ever since those years been over, Clemson really has dominated this conference.
1: Absolutely. It's like they've
0: been playing NCAA 14 dynasty mode on freshman <laughs> difficulty because they haven't had nobody else. I mean, Miami hasn't had their stuff together. And even that one year Miami had, like, Clemson still smashed us in the ACC championship. Like,
1: Yeah, what was it, 34-3 to 3 or something crazy yeah. like that?
0: And, like, I was thinking that Miami's defense could keep us in the game. It's like, I'm never going to doubt Dabo Sweeney because he's one of those guys that you doubt him and you count him out, oh, yeah, he's going to be hella motivated. And the thing with Clemson is that they haven't really been able to use that underdog mentality anymore. And now they can finally use that. It's like, now you got a good reason to feel pissed off. Everybody, like me and you, are picking FSU to beat them. It's like he's going to have to make a change, but – This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast, man. Once again, we're joined by my guy, College Football with Sam. Make sure that you guys go ahead, subscribe to my dude, check him out. Before we let you go, man, let everybody know what you got planned on the channel with the college football season only 11 days away, man. We're so close. We got one of the longest off-seasons ever like i'm tired of all the chat man i want to i want those passes start thumping
1: yeah i hope navy beats notre dame i i want to watch that i want to watch that game and and have chaos just come out of the gate that would be that
0: to my irish man like i I ain't gonna lie Notre yeah. Dame fans are some really good people. Some some really they got a really diehard fan base. Sam. like you got to talk about Notre Dame, like they got a really passionate fan base.
1: They left my program and that rivalry in in the backseat. That's no, I don't know why they did that. <laughs> uh, and 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 one more thing, if like be- before we go, like speaking of that Miami defense in 2017 that's why I don't trust Manny Diaz. Like that was with Kelly. That's that's with Kelly Bryan at quarterback and you allow 34 points. But anyway, with Notre Dame, I, it's not that I don't like, it's not that I don't necessarily like them. I mean, I like Marcus Freeman way better than Brian Kelly as a person. And I hope that he grows into a great coach, but K I I mean, outside of like Michigan and some other teams that just some other select teams, just because I'm that way. Like I have some teams selectively year by year consistently that I like to succeed, let chaos ensue. Like, or, or if not, if, I mean, if not for Navy beating Notre Dame, I mean, maybe rice beating USC, but that's not going to happen. So I'm not predicting those things, but I want to see games, even if it's week zero, and I'm hoping to go live once, because the, this, as you can see, I'm not as transparent as I was. I'm hoping that everything can get set up, maybe order another ring light, and I can go live with a more professional studio just a week before all the games. But week zero is going to be fun. Then, you know, Thursday night, I think it is, you got Utah, Florida, and then also Minnesota, Nebraska, that's going to be awesome. I think Utah's top ten, but Florida also has like the talent to to do something. If things, if like, you know, the reports are true about Mertz, and also they have a really good run game. Minnesota and Nebraska both have top twenty-five potential. I think Minnesota is a close to top fifteen team. Nebraska has an awesome quarterback in Jeff Sims. So I'm just excited for football to be here too. I'm tired of waiting as well, and. My plans for the channel are just to, I'd say, do a top 25 this week. If I do have time, do an SEC, maybe Pac-12 preview, like how we did my Big Ten preview earlier a few days ago, and then talk about Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and all these Big Ten teams and what I think, like, do a detailed video on each. And also probably talk about, like, washington or utah again just some of those you know teams that are up there that i think are going to be really good this year
0: everybody this is college football with sam appreciate you for coming on man make sure that you guys go ahead and subscribe to his youtube channel we're going to have it in the link down in the description down below and Listen to the JT Sports Podcast, man. We're trying to get to 105 star reviews. The podcast has been doing some really good numbers lately. I don't know what the hell has happened. I guess y'all are just now starting to figure out about the podcast. But get us to 105 star reviews before the start of the college football season, man. We're at 70 right now, 30 away from 100. If you want to support the channel, go ahead. Leave us a five-star review. It's free. Doesn't take long to do. Only takes 10 seconds, and you're supporting the podcast Once again, we appreciate College Football with Sam for coming on, and we would love to have you on again, man. Take care.